Well, happy Father's Day, everyone. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it throws me off when they're more awake at 9 o'clock than you are at 10.30 sometimes. Well, we've been preparing for you to be here all week. All right, we engaged with God through worship. We gathered around um, the table and observed God's sacrifice for us, Jesus' death on the cross. We're going to break open his word and uh, let God speak into our lives. And afterwards, we get free sweet treats from the Kona ice truck. I mean, that's a pretty good Sunday, right? <laughs> now, we purposefully decided that we wanted to kick off our discipleship series, Follow Me, on Father's Day. Because we believe that it's really important for our fathers in the church to be engaged in discipling of their families. It doesn't apply exclusively to fathers. All of us who's are, who are followers of Jesus are called to pour our lives into other people and share Jesus with them. And we know that in some cases there are, there are fathers not even present in families, that God gives special graces to um, these single moms that are trying to uh, disciple their families on their own. And, and if you're not a single mom, as a mom, you're called to disciple your family. It's just who we are and what God has called us to do. We have a great children's ministry here. We have a great student ministry here. But our children's ministry workers and our student ministry workers are not called to be the primary disciplers of their families. Okay? We as fathers and mothers and grandparents, we're called to that role. And there are aunts and uncles and, and many of us that are grandparents who are uh, playing significant roles of influence in our families. And we are disciplers or discipling our families. That said, okay, dads, listen up today. It's really important for dads to get this message about what God calls you to as a leader of your family. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. I was writing on my notes and I was reading them earlier. I'm like, I wrote that it's the sixth book. I have no idea why I wrote that. <laughs> okay, it's the fifth book. It's the end of what we call the Torah or the law. Um, and as Moses is going to deliver these particular words that we're talking about here. Um, we're going to talk today about what it looks like to disciple, okay? to teach, to model, to speak into and influence the lives of the people around us in a way that honors God by the intentional words we speak and by the way we live. There's a parents meeting going on in a, in a church and um, there was this big discussion around this question. How early in a child's life should one begin to influence them for God? I love the comment of the grandparent who was visiting who said this, I began with my first child 20 years before she was born by giving myself to Jesus Christ. It is hard to share Jesus with someone else if you first don't have that relationship with him. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses has gathered all the people, the nation of Israel. They're at the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Okay? They are about to embark on crossing the Jordan and going into the promised land. 
Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, the last book that he wrote. If you go to the end of the book, you realize Moses is going to die. Joshua is going to become the new leader. He's going to take the people across the Jordan. He's going to lead them through the promised land into this conquest that they are on. But before Moses dies, he gives them this Deuteronomy, the second law. That's what it means. Their parents and their grandparents, they received the first law. Remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, received the law from God, and he came down and his face was all go. The parents and the grandparents, they would have seen that. In fact, some of these people might have seen that as a child. But now here we are. The parents and the grandparents have died in the wilderness. The children and the grandchildren are now the adults. They're getting ready to walk across the Jordan as God's going to part the waters. They're getting ready to see some miracles of their own, but some of them had already seen that God had freed their parents and their grandparents and them from slavery in Egypt. Some of them would have seen Moses' face when he came down from Sinai. Some of them would have actually walked across the, the dry floor of the Red Sea when God opened it up. They would have watched as God led them in a cloud by day, in a fire by night. They would have watched as God fed them in the wilderness. And now Moses is going to say, if it's going to go well with you, if you don't repeat the sins of your fathers and your grandfathers, your parents and your grandparents, pay attention. Listen to these words and put them into practice. Much like Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7 that we looked at last week. Listen to the words and put them into practice. Now, when Moses begins to teach the nation here in Deuteronomy 6, he's going to make sure as they're leading their families that they, first of all, stock the warehouse. Okay? Now, you're not going to read those, those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. All right? That concept comes from um, a few years ago, some parenting trainers that did a good job teaching about how do you instill moral values in the lives of your kids. They weren't always real practical, okay? sometimes way too legalistic for our taste. Nonetheless, they talked about our needs as parents to stock the moral warehouse of our kids' minds and hearts with the Word of God. To not only teach them how to live, but why we live the way we do. Why we obey what God tells us to do. Why that's best and to live that way. Moses is going to do this starting in verse 1. He said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're going to cross the Jordan to possess. So that you your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, this book of Deuteronomy is not just full of all the, all the, what we might think of as the big commands of Scripture. It also contains all of the moral and the civil and the legal 
and the ceremonial commands regarding how they were to live as a nation, as God's people. And Moses tells them that when you follow these commands, these decrees, and these laws, you do that so that, did you catch the so that's in these verses? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Think obedience, think honor, think respect when you read that. So that, he says, you may enjoy long life, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. These, these so that's, they represented Moses' hope that these things would happen. And certainly they represented God's hope that these things would happen. But, but don't they also just represent the hope of every father and every mother who would have been heading into the promised land who, or who is living in our land today, right? While living out God's promises and his principles, it's not simple. Moses' equation was pretty easy to understand. He said, put yourself in a place to be blessed by God through honoring him and obeying his word. Honor God, obey his word. But what does it look like? You think about you and I. We ask these questions. What does it look like to honor God in any given situation? What would obeying him mean for the decision that I'm facing right now? How do I know um, when my specific situation, with all of its different variables, well, and it's not directly addressed in the Bible, how do I know how to live a life that honors God? Which decision should I make? Well, you go to your moral warehouse that has been stocked with the Word of God and the way of God, and you go to that shelf and you pull out that principle from God's Word that applies to our lives, and you apply it to your situation. But that can't happen if your shelves aren't stocked and your children's shelves aren't stocked. If we want to prepare our kids to live a life that honors God, stock their mind and their heart with the Word of God. Well, next Moses is going to follow this challenge with a, a specific description of what it looks like to teach and to model God's Word. Pick up with me in verse 4. Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames, on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. Now this command, okay, the greatest command, by the way, according to Jesus, is this one that we read in these verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. The way to teach and model it, Moses would say, embrace it with your heart. And then speak these truths with your mouth, even while you're demonstrating them with your life. Uh, many of you know uh, Martin Sheen. He's a, uh, referred to in the story as a former Hollywood bad boy, right? Um, 
But he says in an interview with him that watching his son Charlie Sheen um, lead a similarly decadent life, his words, fills him with remorse. He says he worries that he learned to be a father too late. He particularly regrets his failure, he said, to share his faith. He said, I never lost my faith, but I felt for a time I had outgrown the church. He said, now it is a bone of contention in my soul that I did not share my faith with my kids as my parents did with me. It was a source of grace when I needed it. I have been greatly nurtured and inspired by my faith, he says. Listen, there are lots of us as dads, right, who, who experience um, a bone of contention in our souls. Even those of us who have tried to engage as godly fathers, but whose children have nonetheless pursued different paths that do not reflect the lordship of Jesus. Each child must make their own choices, okay? but so must each of us as parents. Moses said, embrace God personally. Then make it your priority to connect your children to Jesus. It's great that we teach our kids to be responsible with their money, to be kind to others, to excel in academics, to be committed to their teammates. It's great that we teach our kids a, a good work ethic, to love learning, um, to be responsible citizens, to stand up for the underdog, and so many other things. But if we don't model and teach for them the highest priority of a relationship with God, we have missed our main commission as parents. In the end, we can't assume full responsibility for the choices that our kids make, but we have to assume full responsibility for our call to teach and to train our kids. Perhaps part of what is missing in that training sometimes is what Moses calls them to do next. If we look down at beginning of verse 10, we talk about God. Um, call, Moses tells them to give God the credit that is due him. Okay? I want to hone in this thought for a bit because I think it just seems to be missing sometimes from our families and certainly from our parenting. Pick up with me in verse 10. Moses writes, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you do not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm not sure your experience, but in my experience, when, when I talk with grown children, okay, or children that are on the, the upper end of growing before they leave their home, it, it's really rare that I hear kids talked about how God blessed their family when they were growing up. I often hear about dad and how hard a working worker he was. Okay? It's not unusual to hear about, about a mother and her love, about 
the family's involvement of church, the enjoyment of church activities or youth group or things like that, experiences at school. But how often do we hear God being credited with the blessings that come along with life? Maybe it's because a child, and maybe it's because a parent assumes that it's all because of their own effort. Maybe it's just that God's involvement is taken for granted. Or could it be that we as parents just fail to trace the hand of God in our family's life, and as a result, our kids don't see that God has been at work in us all along. Now, listen, if we don't identify God's work in our lives, um, how will our kids ever see him at work? And then how do we grow that from noting God's work (laughs) to making it clear that we are only where we're at because of God's work? I suggest it's, it's by telling his story and reminding ourselves and our kids that God is the, he, he is the producer of our story. Look down in verses 20 to 25. Moses kind of carves this out for us. He says, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us up out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. That was true. They had wandered for 40 years, yet here they were, still about to receive the fulfillment of God's promise for them. And then in verse 25, and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded, that will be our righteousness. (laughs) Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we could trace God's hand throughout our lives and our families and give him credit for what he's done. And and the result would be so attractive in our lives and in our families' lives that our kids, that they would want the same thing for theirs. It would almost be like making disciples who make disciples. That's not just our church mission. Like That's our mission in life as a follower of God and as parents who are leading our family. Be alert to the working of God in your life. Be alert to the working of God in your family. Wilbur Nelson tells a story. He said, I grew up in a church that was, in a family that was very committed to church. He said, my dad was the lead elder for many years. He said, one time the church held a a series of evangelistic meetings. And so the evangelist on one of those nights called for everybody who was a follower of Jesus to come forward at the invitation. And everyone who wanted to follow Jesus to come forward at the invitation. He said, my dad got right up out of the chair and he came down that aisle. He said, and I felt God's call on my life at 11 years old. And I got up and I came down that aisle. And my dad got to the end of that aisle and he turned around and he saw me. He said, you go back. You're too young. 
He said, here I sit at age 33, now coming back to God. He said, gone are 22 years of serving God. Gone are 22 years of growth. Because my father looked at me when I was pursuing God and said, no, go back. You're too young. Listen, dads, parents, but dads, be a bridge to your kids to connect to God. Don't block them. You choose to bridge or to block by what you do about filling their moral warehouse. Okay? You either bridge them to God or block them from Him by whether or not you model and teach what it looks like to live for God, whether you give credit to God for all the things that He's done in your life and your family by how you respond to them, your kids, moving in God's direction. Right? And yet there's no guarantee regarding the choices that your kids are going to make. You might try to disciple them and do everything right, and they might ultimately make a different choice. But you can control yourself, and we should control ourselves. And Moses talks about that, and he says, Listen, but as for you, like you as an individual person who has a relationship with God yourself, be consistent and stay engaged. Look down back at verse 19, or verse 13 that part we left out. He says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord God said. Moses says, fear God. Right? Serve him only. Keep the commands. Do what is right and good in God's sight. Like that's our foundational part for you and I. That's our choice that we live in relationship with God, committed, um, consistent, and engaged. Tim Hansel wrote a book is probably 30 years ago or more now called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. Okay? In that book, he, he writes some insights about what he thinks most people want from God. And this is what he writes. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. <laughs> Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't, want enough to, I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like $3 worth of God, please. Listen, the idea of transformation, I know, really scares people. That's because we know um, that such a radical change would make part of our lives quite uncomfortable. 
we realize um, that with transformation comes a, a major overhaul of our lives and of our priorities. But listen, my friends, I can tell you after talking to literally hundreds of adults who have aged out of the hands-on parenting process, whose kids are out of the house, who are looking back at life and who are trying to evaluate what's going on because now their kids are living their own lives and their kids are making their own choices and their influence is quite a bit different and they are, they are reaping the fruit of the choices that they made during their parenting years. And listen to me. Okay? They would all tell you regret is a much heavier burden than transformation. You think it's difficult to change your life. It's a lot more difficult to regret not changing. That's what Martin Sheen was talking about earlier. That's what Israel had to keep learning over and over again. And that's what $3 worth of God will buy you in the future. Listen, who is raising your children spiritually? Who is stocking your moral warehouse, teaching them the scriptures, modeling a godly life for them, tracing God's hand throughout the life of your family and giving him credit for this work? Are you engaged? Do you need to get right with God or commit anew um, to discipling your family? Do you need to model for your family? what a fresh start actually looks like. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And when the service is over, we'd love to talk to you about what that might look like in your life if you want a fresh start. We can't change what's happened to this day, but we can certainly change what happens from this day. Let's pray together. Father, you are the author of the abundant life. You have given all we need for life and godliness. And Lord, there are times we've heard you and shrunk back. There are times we've heard you and embraced it. Lord, some I know right now are hearing you and are living their best version of their life in you. And the fruit is evident in their families and in their lives. Lord, Father's Day stirs lots of pots, lots of emotions, lots of struggles and lots of victories, Lord, but may they all lead us to become our best version of who you called us to be as a person, as a parent, whatever role you've called us to, Lord, may we be yours complete. We pray in Jesus' name.